Today we're talking about faith and hope, and uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of we, what, what we do not see. Uh, let's bow our heads once more and pray about that. Uh, Father God, we pray for you to increase our faith. This confidence in what we hope for, this assurance of what we do not see, ours is not a blind faith, but one that is a sure hope based upon your character, your promises, your power. God, we want the world to know that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is exalted and his name is above every name. And a day will come when every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Father, we want our world to hear this message, to know about your love and saving grace through Jesus. And we pray for our nation to humble itself, to turn away from evil, manipulation and lies. Help us to turn to you in righteousness and truth. And Father, we pray for revival in our own hearts and souls, in our community, throughout the land. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would grow us deep in Christ. Let us live lives that honor you with overflowing joy as we become more fully the sons and daughters you've called us to be in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we are continuing a, a series called Christ is Better. It's uh, based on the book of Hebrews. And this, this book, Hebrews, explores the rich promises of God and connects the Old and New Testament in a way that no other book of Scripture that I know of does. Um, for the first time in the book of Hebrews, we are going to encounter a, an Old Testament character. So Hebrews is in the New Testament, but we're going to encounter an Old Testament character named Abraham. If you have studied Abraham's life in the Old Testament, you know that he was a flawed character, right? He did a few things that were questionable, but you also know he was a man of incredible faith in the promises of God. And if you've studied his life in the book of Genesis, um, Actually, uh, we did a series on this uh, uh, a few years ago. Is anybody, was anybody here during that series? A few. Wow. We could do it again now. Nobody, nobody knows it. Uh, it I, I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Well, our passage today um, is about a hopeful example. That's the example of Abraham and a hope-filled promises. That's uh, promises to us. So as we think about this hopeful example, I want to read the words that we left off with last Sunday because they, they tie right into what we're doing today. Uh, Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So who are we to imitate? And who was going to receive the inherited promise? So any war, and it may, Hebrews uh, 3, not to be action, and yet being un, not to be like the milk drinkers near the edges of the cliff who might fall away and never return. And so finally now we have this positive example, the example of Abraham. You're like, well, if Abraham was an Old Testament character, how much re relevance does he have in the New Testament? If you were to do a search on the name Abraham in the New Testament, you'd find his name all over the place. 
But I'll just give you a couple examples. In the Gospel of Matthew, Abraham is the first name on the list of Jesus' genealogy. Or in Luke 9.9, Jesus said of Zacchaeus, so Zacchaeus is the guy that was uh, too short to uh, see over the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus, and Jesus told him to come down, and, uh, and Zacchaeus invited him into his house, and Jesus said uh, to uh, Zacchaeus, um, or, or talked to Zacchaeus, and people were criticizing Jesus because he was going into this tax collector and sinner's house. Zacchaeus said, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll, I'll give him four times the amount back. I'm give, going to give half of what I have to the poor. And Jesus said, today salvation has come into this house, but he might have missed the last part of that. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Hmm, how does that connect? Well, being a child of Abraham meant being part of the people of God and an heir to the promises of God, including salvation. So who are the children of Abraham? Both Romans and Galatians say it's not his natural-born children, it's his children of faith, because Abraham was all about faith, faith and hope. And by faith, we are children of Abraham if we trust in God through Christ. So Abraham becomes for us not only an example to imitate, but a hope-filled promise to God's people. And so this makes today's message a message of hope. Uh, not just any hope, but the hope that um, is both now and in the future. So uh, let's pause from Abraham for just a moment. And uh, let me ask you the question, um, how hopeful are you and where have you placed your hope? Are you feeling particularly hopeful right now? And if so, uh, where have you placed your hope? Or if not, where have you placed your hope? And if we were to put a hopeful meter on the back of your neck, what would it say? Where would it be on the dial there? It would be pretty high up there, a little further back. Is it at risk of going back down because the object of your hope is not strong enough? Well, um, how hopeful are you and where have you placed your hope? Your answer to that question informs your present affects your future, and explains your past. Our hope drives us, sustains us, and helps us to live securely in the present. Sometimes we place our hope in the wrong thing. Sometimes we hope in what cannot sustain us. Uh, or we hope in something that will eventually fail. We have to ask ourselves, is the object of our greatest hope strong enough to sustain the weight of our immortal soul? Well, the story of Abraham is a heavenly promise so great that it can sustain us through the difficulties of today and fill us with sure hope for tomorrow. I'd like to lift it earlier as it should. What it would be like to be, I'm going to read you what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Uh, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Well, how does Abraham connect in with this promise that sustains us for today and gives us hope for tomorrow? Hebrews 6, 12 through 15, uh, or 13 through 15, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself 
saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, if you want to read about Abraham in the Old Testament to get up to speed on all this, his story begins in, in the end of chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 12, where God called him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's family. I want you to leave your father's gods. I want you to leave the land of Haran and go to this place where I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make numerous your descendants. I'm going to give you this land. And as Abraham's story unfolded, important chapters there, if you want to read them, are chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, and chapter 22 in the book of Genesis. Because what happens in all of those chapters is the promise, which is sure, and the purpose of God doesn't change. But that promise gets fleshed out and fleshed out and fleshed out. And by the way, when Abraham was called to begin his ministry, he was 75 years old. That's pretty far along, right? So if any of you are wondering, if, hey, am I too old for the next step that God has for me? Probably not. I think Moses was 80, so he beat him out by five years. Well, when this promise is repeated in Hebrews 6.14, we could literally say, so this is the Old Testament promise, but it's repeated in the New Testament, Hebrews 6.14, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. But Abraham had to wait for this blessing, for this multiplication, for the promise of a son for 25 years. And he never saw the fullness of this blessing and multiplication in his lifetime. Nevertheless, the promise of God came true and is still coming true beyond what Abraham could ever imagine. Hebrews 6.12 encourages us to be imitators of the faithful, but the example offered immediately after uh, 6.12 is not simply an example for us to follow, but a powerful example of God's faithfulness. So we are to be imitators of Abraham, but also we see Abraham set up as an example of how faithful God was pouring into him and therefore how faithful he will be to us as well. And the fact that Abraham's life was a mess is encouraging to me because our lives are a mess. If anyone were to look at our lives and say, hey, you know, is this the, the life of a perfect human? I don't think any of us could say, oh yeah, that's me. You know, have a fallen, blessed him. So great imitation. I want to, the promise, when God made the promise himself, you know, the name gives value to a promise. Have you thought about that? Um, the name, how, you know, if, you were, if I were to pull $20 out of my wallet, what gives that currency value? Is it some sort of standard behind it? It used to be a gold standard. There was gold backing up that currency, but now it's not. It's the value of the name of the U.S. government. If the U.S. government, if we were to go away as a country, that currency would be worthless because it's backed by the name. This is also the case with contracts, with job offers, and so forth. There is value to a name. A name may be quantifiable as currency. It works on, at, at, on other ways as well. Um, in some cases, when the promisor is not strong enough to make a promise on a legal contract, there is a guarantor. 
So that a name can be a guarantor. Or another example is if you were to have someone come up and ask you all sorts of personal medical questions, like they sometimes get in your business, uh, would it make any difference if that person belonged to a certain organization with a certain name, and it was your organization and name as a medical organization, or if they were kind of on their own just asking you questions on whether you would answer them or not. So there's power in that name. And it used to be that we would swear on oath before God uh, in a a courtroom that our testimony was true. We were swearing based on the name of God. We're making an oath in God's name. Now, in this case, God is the one making the promise. And so uh, it says a couple times here in this passage that there was no one greater to swear by, so God swore by his own name. How powerful is God's name? Well, when it comes to the name of God, the value of that name is priceless. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is greater than silver or gold. We should take that personally. We should keep our name clean and make sure it, it stands for something. But when it comes to the name of God, it is infinitely valuable, infinitely powerful. If someone were to say, and we really believe in God, if someone were to say, I come in the name of God and we believe them, then that would be the ultimate. It would trump everything. And God made his oath to Abraham, later to us, in his own name. Now let's talk about the promise. The promise to Abraham is, I will bless you and I will give you many descendants. Blessing, I will bless you and Multiply and I will multiply you. Uh, So the oath to Abraham is twofold. It is blessing and multiplication. He'd be blessed by God and his descendants would multiply. But Abraham would have to wait patiently for both of these. And for a long time. So why did God make an oath to Abraham? Was it because God's promise wasn't sure enough? No, it was because Abraham really needed that as a reassurance. And so God made it an oath saying, I will do this. In fact, one of the examples, and I believe it's in Genesis 15, is where God cut, uh, instructed God went between that and I will be how great my promise. So it's to reassure that the promises would come true. So this becomes important as we study the life of Abraham and, and uh, the passage that we read about in Genesis 22 where the near sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, but Abraham trusted in the name of God. So another uh, picture of, the, of Abraham's life, uh, God instructed Abraham to go sacrifice his son on the mountain. And his son Isaac is like, okay, we've got the wood, we've got the knife, we've got you know, everything here. Uh, what about the sacrifice? And Abraham's like, don't worry about that. Uh, and they're heading up the mountain. You're like... What is going to happen here? And why would Abraham go along with this? Why would God call him to do it in the first place? And later we find out the whole thing is a picture of Christ's sacrifice because there's a ram that's substituted for Isaac's life. So God wanted Abraham to understand basically the kernel of the gospel here. But also on Abraham's part, uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 explains to us, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your 
offspring will be reckoned. So not only would he lose his son, but he'd lose the promise of multiplication. But Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Abraham learned about God's faithfulness, and he saw a little glimpse of what would happen in the future with Christ when there would be a substitution on our behalf in order to enact the promises in our life. Are you waiting for anything? Have you been waiting for a long time? I know I've been in a period of waiting at times where I just wish that things could be a little differently here or there or sometimes everything. And when we're in those places, we're, we're wondering, you know, sometimes where is God or, or what's next? Or I just want clarity. I just want to move beyond the spot. But sometimes God uses those periods of waiting as a crucible to increase our faith to strengthen us. And so we want to move on from those places, but what would be a complete waste is to be in that spot and not to trust in God to perfect us while we're there. That's why Abraham had to wait. God was perfecting his character and showing him that the promises would come from God, not from Abraham. The most important thing was God's faithfulness, and that's what Abraham's faith and hope depended upon. And so God used this mechanism, swearing by something greater, to bring about clarity, assurance, and proof, and the immutability of his counsel, the unchangeableness of his purpose, proof that God would not change his purposes, promise, or plan, so he confirmed it with an oath, and God made an oath to show his unchanging character and purpose and to encourage the heirs of the promise. So what would Abraham inherit? Would he inherit, so the, we know as we read the Old Testament that uh, there's the nation of Israel appears, that the, the descendants multiply, that they come into the land of Canaan, and we could talk more about that. Did Abraham see any of that? Nothing. He had his son Isaac. It was the time of the patriarchs. Of God didn't, that's while we're still alive, they were beyond this nation, which they extended out beyond the uh, New Testament, these things like the sacrifice of Isaac and many other parts of the Old Testament connect in the New Testament. And what we learn is that the heirs of Abraham are heirs by faith. The seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham are those who believe in God. And God credits our faith as righteousness. And then what we inherit is a land and a relationship with God. If everything began in a garden, as if, you, if you read the bookends of the Bible, uh, the, we have the Garden of Eden, the, a beautiful garden where there's a, a wonderful relationship with God and things got broken and everything, everything broke. The reason there are any, every problem in the world can be stemmed back to Genesis 3, the brokenness of the, the rupture of the relationship with God and people. And if you go to the end of the Bible, we're back into this description of beautiful garden, city, the presence of God, relationship with God. And everything in between is, is the reconciliation of all that. Everything points to Christ as the reconciler of all things. He is the ram that was in the wilderness, that took the place of Isaac. He was all, all these different pictures to point us to Jesus, that basically the inheritance all points to what Christ did for us, and what we inherit is a land beyond our imagination, 
and a relationship with God himself. And we see the first fruits of that today as we give our life to Christ and we live uh, in the mess. God's spirit lives in us and we persevere and we're sort of like Abraham in that, in that waiting period. We've got the promises. We know they're true, but we're not going to see the fruition until a much later time. And the, the wonderful secret here is Abraham didn't lose out on anything by dying in his physical life and not seeing everything because Abraham's life extended on and continues to this day. Well, let's talk about a hope-filled promise. So that's the example of Abraham, and we have these very same categories, a name, a promise, and inheritance. And the name uh, in, in um, Hebrews 6.17, because God wanted to make the unchangeable nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, that's you and I, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things by which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. The promise that you and I have received is rooted in the name of God. If you were to root your promises in your insurance company, it could possibly fail. If you were to root your promises in the United States government, it could possibly fail. If you were to root your promises in anything else, there's a possibility of it failing. But the security that we have in something promised on oath, secured by God, is sure. It's absolute. There's, there's nothing else that we need worry about. Worry about Jesus, disciples on the lake. This is sleeping. And it's just finally they... Uh, say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? He rebuked the wind and waves and it was completely calm. Uh, the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Have you ever felt like you're in that storm? Because we don't live in this beautiful garden, this beautiful city, this, this future place and future promise as it will be. We live sometimes in the midst of the storm. And sometimes what we need to do is cling closely to the promise here on earth before we ever receive it in the future. We know what our future will be. We should not be afraid to die. You know, COVID, uh, some of us are afraid of COVID because we could die. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions and be careful and, and everything, and, and we do here at church. We have things spaced out. We're, we're, we try to be careful. We don't want to... Um, to be irresponsible. On the other hand, if we're to die and we're in Christ Jesus, how much do we lose? If we really believe this, nothing. There is nothing to lose in death because our life extends out forever. In fact, when we are not present in this body in that final day, we will be immediately present in the arms of our Lord and our lives will be better than they ever were here. We need fear nothing. So in the midst of this, we have this future promise, but we also have this promise while we're in the boat in the storm. The future promise is we're going to walk in a garden, in the garden of God, where God's own presence provides the light. There's a, there's a, a river that provides water to the tree of life, the tree that, that people were uh, prohibited of eating from 
in the Garden of Eden because of their sin and fallenness will be present there. And it will be a place of joy and wonder, more than we could imagine. But here, while we're on earth, we have many trials and perseverances and struggles and difficulties, and you have yours, I have mine, and we all have our own story that we're going through. But what will anchor our soul during that time is the same anchor that Abraham had, the promise of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's uh, consider the uh, question I asked at the beginning of the message here. How hopeful are you and where have you placed your hope? Our answer to that question informs our present, affects our future, and explains our past. And is the object of our hope strong enough to support the weight of our mortal soul? We want a hope that will drive us, sustain us, and help us to securely live in the present. We want to lift our eyes up. So whatever we've been living for, whatever we've been longing for, whatever our struggles, wherever we placed our hope, whatever we loved and longed for here on earth, point to something better, and that something better is Christ. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, our hope lies in a name, a promise, and an inheritance. In the name of Jesus, he is King of Kings who reigns on the throne of God, Creation will wear out like a garment, but Jesus never will. His justice cannot madness, and though Jesus is a us, may the name of Jesus more trustworthy than anything in creation. It's a promise as if the promise based on the name of Jesus were not enough. God confirmed it with an oath and sealed it with the blood of Christ. We are washed and waiting, and this is a promise strong enough to sustain us through any storm. And our inheritance comes from the riches of God himself. We love and long for the many things God has made. But what about God himself, which is greater than any of those things and can make things we haven't even dreamed of yet? Those who are in Christ are sons and daughters of the King. We follow Christ into the inner sanctuary. Nothing will keep us from delighting in the presence of God. No more tears and no more sorrow. So in the words of Bart Miller, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. May you please bow your heads with me. Father God, yours is the name above any other name, the name of Christ, through whom you've made yourself known, and the spirit of Christ that lives in us and speaks to us of a greater promise. Help us to trust you in that promise, Lord, while we wait. Abraham messed up many times as he was waiting, and perhaps we have as well, and maybe we will, but Abraham always turned to you and always turn back. And I pray that we too, likewise, would always repent and turn from where we shouldn't be to where we should be. That we would trust in you for our inheritance because it's greater than anything else we've imagined or longed for here on earth. Yours is the name, the promise, and the inheritance. And through Jesus, they are ours. We trust you in this with hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.